0: Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt.
0: We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships.
1: If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Do you know what sexting is, Sherry? I've heard of it. Have you heard of what it is? Yeah, I've heard of what it is, I think, right? Send sexy text messages, yeah. words, or perhaps pictures. I mean, didn't Anthony <laughs> Weiner get in trouble for this? Um, like, wouldn't that be foretelling? Last like
0: two of- decades ago, maybe. I think a lot. I think the world of sexting has come a long way since Anthony Weiner was in the news. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry, that just always stuck out.
0: What Him his name? And- yes. Yeah. You know. and... I mean, he was destined to send yeah, exactly. naked pictures with a name like that.
1: Sorry. Sorry to his lovely ex-wife.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, so, yeah, uh, I think it's both pictures and, you know, provocative things. Well, Sherry, I have to tell you, I am sad that you and I are not in a position to sext with each other.
1: You're sad about that? I'm,
0: sad. I'm I don't know what I am. But...
1: I would be grateful.
0: You and I. I don't want you well, to Well, I know you're grateful. Me. And I know why you have sabotaged our texting relationship. Because... I sabotaged. You, want, you have, because you want nothing to do with anything like that. So you have given our youngest child, our adorable 12-year-old, not only does he have your password to get into your phone, but you often... Ask him to look at your text messages yeah. when you're driving.
1: He is my car secretary. He is secretary. Secretary. Car He's secretary. my car secretary. But let's be honest. I said, if you get rid of the landline, my phone becomes the landline. Oh God, it's ringing. How old are you? Because, you know, for a long time, like when you're always like, well, if they're calling my cell phone number, it means they want to talk to me. Well, some of our kids didn't have cell phone numbers and grandparents wanted to call so my number became the communication number, so my number became the number that was kind of the, yes, I'm old, landline, yes. So you I treat had your, like,
0: your cell phone more as a community phone, is it what you're is. saying, a family yes. community phone. Yes,
1: I mean, I know they all now have their own phones that they can call and text, not sex, but...
0: So you have very logical reasons but for Yeah, why. my phone,
1: fo- I don't have anything to hide yeah. on my phone, so... I know. You are... Why?
0: Pure is the... Freshly driven. Oh shut up. You are in a lot of ways. I mean. I'm not making fun. But so I think that probably 80% of the reason that you treat your phone the way you do is for those logical reasons that you're explaining. Your phone became the home phone and grandparents and all of that. But I think there's at least a sliver of truth to the fact that because you know that I know that Andrew looks at your phone whenever he damn well pleases, whether you're in the car and he's being your secretary Anybody or Anybody looks at
1: my phone whenever they please. You can look at my phone, everyone. It's out there on the counter all the time.
0: Well, so because it's the community phone and everyone's got your passcode to get into it, I mean, you might want to just share your passcode right here on the <laughs> yeah. podcast. There's a few people that don't know how to get into your phone. <laughs> but since, uh, since it is the community phone, I think you, that is a defense mechanism against... I'm telling you, just a little piece of you knows that this will keep me from football well, sexting or, or really anything heavy. So that's one safe area for you away from the heaviness of life is your, your text, text yeah, messages. You it, don't have to worry about what your dumbass husband's going to send you.
1: Right, but we also weren't that kind of people anyhow when you drank.
0: I know, I know. Like we
1: weren't text arguing or, yeah, well, I mean. B-
0: but wait, we did do that a little bit. That's, so the the topic for today is communication, and clearly we're showing that we are mediocre at best at communication, even when there's a microphone between us. to be a psychologist
1: us. back there. What?
0: Trying to figure out the the, yeah, the ulterior motives. Yeah. No, I don't motives? want
1: anybody to like send me sexy text messages or pictures. If it's you, some <laughs> stranger, no. We are the, you I don't got any? You of got
0: it. flashed the other day.
1: Not the other driving day. Driving down the street. Yes. Well,
0: like six weeks ago. Yeah. Like full on. Yes. A, one of.
1: Yes. It was one a of
0: homeless thing. guy, right? Just. Yeah. You were at a stoplight or a stop sign. Stop
1: sign. Yeah. He just decided he needed to adjust himself.
0: The best. Or part. urinate. Adjust I drove away. himself. Yeah.
1: Or urinate. I don't no, know. He, it was
0: a clear flashing. He. he I don't know. Urinating. He's
1: definitely mentally ill. He just pulled all of it down.
0: You said you were close. Fluffed enough. it
1: up. Is that a good way to describe it? Adjusted himself.
0: You said you were close enough that you knew he wasn't. Un- he wasn't circumcised. Yes, that's pretty. That's pretty close. That is
1: very close. Or, yeah.
2: And I even have bad eyesight. Unfortunately, it's <laughs> I can see far away, and that is of course you just look right. Oh my god! Yeah. How could you not? How could you not?
0: Yeah, but so your reaction to that event, when you after you it was right by a middle school and elementary school, so after you called the. The school to let them know you've got a flasher on the corner outside of your building. And <laughs> your way, which is probably a good thing to do. After doing that, you were pretty much just mortified. Not that anyone's not mortified by a flasher. That's not an attractive thing, whether you're into sexting or not. But it's safe to say that that is not, you know, not your style. form of communication. No, I just, whether, I just, like you said, I wasn't feeling your husband of 25 years or a stranger, you just really don't want to see it from anybody.
1: Yeah, I wasn't feeling honored or special after his choice, no.
0: Okay, well, as we've struggled through this introductory conversation, which is perfect, because this episode, we're going to talk about communication. We're going to talk about, you know, what we perceive to be good communication, struggling communication. I just think you can't talk about communication too often when it when the the overall topic is the recovery of an alcoholic relationship, because... I think a huge part of the problem is just that it's it's communication. Whether it's um, we isolate and we're quiet and we don't share because of the shame that we're dealing with, because of the blame that we assess to the other party, and we can't find healthy ways to work that out, or we over communicate and you know go to places that are not the, the other person in the relationship isn't ready for. I just think communication is more than just like kind of a minor challenge for a lot of people in relationships and recovery. I think it's, you know, maybe the, the headliner. So let's talk about it. Um, do you remember the times that we did? And it sounds like maybe you don't because you said we never text argued. We did. I can remember times when I was in active alcoholism and I can remember being at work, being at the bakery that we owned at the time and texting back and forth with you. Um, I, th- you know, I, we are, I mean, I'm 49 and you're 50 just to, you know, clue our listeners in and to where we fall. We were reluctant texters, right? We were the people that hung onto the flip phones for a long time and we're trying to Hit the three, three times to get the the E or whatever. I had the
1: slide phone. (laughs) It (laughs) had the whole keyboard that slid out. I thought that was pretty cool, but I didn't. With the little
0: tiny keys though, right? Yes,
1: but I didn't use it because I didn't
2: know how to do it and I wasn't refusing to learn. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, so for our various reasons, we were reluctant texters. Now we text all the time and, you know, we are normal members of society and probably each text a hundred times a day, various things with various people or whatever. But we were reluctant to do that. And so we had a, a good number of really nasty, disgusting, awful phone conversations. Those um, I
1: remember more than the texting. Because I think do. I was worried about forgetting to delete a part of it. Because I am a person that keeps a lot of my text message. Everybody does. you know. Almost everybody does. You, I figured you just went and you trashed everything.
0: No, I... I... Because I have I to look archive back. archive okay? things when I'm done okay. dealing with them, so right. that they, they still live, but yeah. I don't have to look at them.
1: Yeah. So I'm afraid that I probably would have forgotten to do any of that. So I don't. Re- I mean, I remember a little bit of texting.
0: But, yeah. But the know. the thing that, as the active alcoholic, the thing that I always hated about phone arguments was you could hang up on me when you were done good and ready talking to me, and you did.
1: And you could do the same. Yeah. But you did.
0: Yeah. I suppose that's true. But yeah. And then, and then you'd have the frustration of calling back, or at least I did. I don't think you were as bad about that, but I would call back fifty times in a row trying to get you to answer. And then you finally would. What? What? I don't want to talk to you. Just nasty. Not not that you were nasty. I mean, the whole like yeah, thing the was whole nasty. Thing is
1: nasty. That's yeah.
0: right. God, am I glad to be beyond that? But then I do remember times when. I was at the bakery and so I had other employees there with me and customers and I wasn't in a position to have screaming matches on the phone with you. But, so I would text you and, you know, vicious stuff. Just, you know, arguments about we should just get a divorce and um, here's what I think you've done wrong. And I can't I just can't imagine anything productive ever coming out of that. I think texting has a really solid important place in the communication world. I think it's great for quick little snippet messages, you know, I I'll be home after I go to the gas station or did you remember to pick up our child or you know, yeah, any number of but it's not it's there should be no there's no room for emotion in texting first of all without voice inflection you have you know you can read most sentences that are written in a text message three or four different ways yeah so that's a huge problem but it's it that's just not what this quick quick hitting communication method is meant for and so when we would text argue um when i was actively in addiction um they were they were just it was bad it it only served to make things worse i know i as as someone who would just really I couldn't, like, I couldn't let it rest I couldn't wait until later to argue again so I would send my digs I mean yeah I would get momentary relief from the fact that I was getting off my chest the, the new zinger that I thought up that I really wanted to say but any rational person could look at that and say whether you're right or you're wrong whether your zinger is a good one or a lame one all you're doing is making it worse you are hurting the other person either way, whether they're right, you're wrong, who, you know who, who cares? All you're doing is hurting each other. And so that texting stuff was terrible. And you know, one of the things that, that I know happens that I, I know happened with us is the texting ultimatums. I mean, that is the biggest bullshit of all bullshits, if you ask me you know a text message to say either either you do this or it's over either either you i don't know um you admit that you were wrong sherry or i'm not coming home and we're getting a divorce i mean what a like misuse of a communication tool but just an awful thing to say anyway yeah do you remember any stuff like that do you remember
1: any talks of divorce and stuff like that um probably not on the not on text messages much, like i said i'm I'm struggling to remember a lot of text arguments, partially because I am terrible at it, so I couldn't but text your memory quickly, is really good, so but that's I couldn't text quickly. I do remember sometimes, and I think I think we got into that sort of thing at the end of your um alcoholism and heavy drinking, and that's when the depression was was worse for you and the anxiety. I remember some of the text messages of. Like, I can't do this anymore from you, those sort of things. I don't remember necessarily, like, you calling out divorce in a text message. um, During conversations and arguments, for sure. Like, verbal. Um, But, yeah, I don't don't remember that. I just remember there was a lot of, like, I remember a lot of pain in your text messages when we would argue.
0: Yeah. I mean, so... I'm of the opinion that if you're working on your relationship, whether you've found sobriety or not, even if they're actively you're still drinking, texting other than can you please bring home a gallon of milk on your way should just literally be outlawed from relationships. I mean, I think it is the worst thing you can do. At least when people email each other, and we, we, we know couples and we meet people who talk about I, have, I struggle to have face-to-face communications with my spouse because my spouse is very dominant and talks over me and I can't get a word in edgewise and they're defensive. So I prefer to sit down and compose myself and write emails. To me, there's a solid place in a relationship for something like that. Well-thought-out communication. But there's nothing well-thought-out about a text. I mean, I've never heard of somebody saying, oh, I've been working for for three or four weeks on this text i'm going to send now been drafting it and getting it just right that's just not how that form of communication works yeah so i feel like you know texting vile snippets or zingers at each other i mean if you want to do something right now if there's still alcohol in your relationship and you know sobriety has to happen but it hasn't happened yet and you want to make things incrementally better even though you're not going to solve all the problems the first thing i would suggest is stop texting each other i mean we've We've met people who sit in other sit in separate rooms in the same house and text nasty yeah. things to each other. And often the defense is, well, we've got small children. We don't want them to hear us arguing. Well, I would say if what you have to say you can't say in front of your kid, maybe sit on it for long enough that you rethink how you wanted to say that. Maybe that thought will go away. Because yeah. it's probably well, not there's still
1: the, you're still having an argument. You're just being lip-sealed about it. There's still the whole facial... And te- you know, look on the person's face. Your phone is in your hands. The kids so you can look. still. So the, if sense. your kids are around, the yeah, ki- yeah there's they think the phone is more important than them or whatever's going on. There's still the tension in the air.
0: Yeah.
1: But I, yeah, I, I, never, I never understood, and I think it's because maybe of our age and my lack of willing to advance forward in technology, in a lot of ways that I just didn't. See it being beneficial. Now I think arguing over the phone, like while you you were driving into the bakery, and we would still be arguing, or, um, you know, from a night that carried over. Yeah, like that wasn't beneficial at all either. No, but, but at least I felt like there was the appearance of communication. The emailing, I understand, because there are you know we we like you said, you write letters, you have composed thoughts, and I mean, I'm sure like with emailing, I know I've written several emails and some text messages where I've gone back and changed it, but I think emailing it just, if you're not, like if you're doing it from your laptop or, you know, it seems like it has, there's something that your brain shifts like, oh, this is something that I'm doing that I would have been doing for work or putting value in or even school, because there are a lot of people that... You know, that was the way they um, did everything in school, like high school, college, and everything. So, sending it using the computer. So, there's some, I think there's a little mind shift that happens when you go to your laptop
0: to construct
1: an email. You feel more professional or...
0: And it's less likely to be bang, 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 send. Yeah. You're more likely to think that. I mean, think about how texting works. How often do you get a text that's one sentence, and then the person sends before they reread it, read it, realize that there was a word that got autocorrected wrong, and sends you the little asterisk with the r- word the way it was supposed to be. We don't proofread one sentence texts in this country in this society. Yeah. So how could we possibly get the intent right? How could we possibly get the message right? Mm-hmm. If we're not willing to proofread one sentence text. so I agree. I mean, I would take it one step further than even the email. I think everyone, I don't even think we should get out our big pen and our notebooks. I think we should find some, some uh, papyrus and oh, we should sakes. pluck a feather out of a pigeon oh, and dip it in an inkwell. Sakes. Like that's how much thought we should put to communication because we're just too quick to fire off the first thing on our minds and it only makes matters worse. Yeah. Have you ever written with a pigeon feather? Is that what kind of feathers did people used to write with? Do you know?
1: I don't. Well, I don't know. Or sure. care. You don't or know. Care.
0: Or care. I'm sure. So I, you know, something about our age, I think, is really important. You talk about, and we we tease each other, and we tease ourselves about. Oh, I had to figure out how to text with my flip phone. I had my slide phone, and yeah, we sound old, and we are, and we sound untechnologically advanced, and we are. But I'm worried about, like I. <laughs> I'm not a baby boomer, but I sound like one when I say I'm worried about millennials and the fact that they've grown up with these forms of communication so readily available, I don't think they can see the damage they're doing. Mm-hmm. They are so used to texting people that are in the next room and you know, not even making the effort to get off the couch to walk 20 feet to have the face-to-face that I don't think they recognize how much additional damage because i feel doing.
1: yeah they don't understand like say that's the example right say there's someone in one room and then the person is in the kitchen and they're texting each other maybe it's not even an argument maybe it's just hey could you bring me this or did you think of that you know it's just a simple question but they didn't get up off the couch or leave the other room to go to meet each other yeah that is to me is a Absolute disrespect.
0: Uh, absolutely, I was hoping so, we would say the disrespect was. the I mean, I remember
1: root. when our children got their phones. We gave them phones when they were sixth graders because they had to get they had to walk to the bus stop that's five blocks away. I know we sound very overprotective, five blocks away, but along a busy street, get on the bus, and then they would have to like text us. Yeah, you know all these steps basically.
2: Yeah, we
1: also said if you ever text us from one room in the house. And you do not have a broken leg or incapacitated. Yeah. We're pulling the phone for a while. Because like, it was a sign of respect. Like, come find us. Yeah. And I also have told our children, don't holler from a different room.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, come and find me. You can start hollering and try to find me. You can tell I'm from Indiana hollering. Hollering. <laughs> um, can you, but it was a sign of respect. I'm in the
0: laundry room doing the wash.
1: I don't say that. But... I said you can, Your you know, it's a sign does. of respect. Yes. It's a sign of respect to look at a person and talk with a person. I even don't like it so much when we're, and I'm I'm very bad at it, talking from room to room loudly. Now it's very fun with our daughter and our youngest son who both have hearing issues. Because then it's inevitable that I get frustrated. And then I forget. You know, I forget the rules of speaking to those kids.
0: I think you make a really good point about respect. So much about communication is not the words, it's the inflection. It's the looks on our face. It's the hand gestures. And again, this is, these aren't like minor little trivial things. These are make or break when it comes to communication. I'm not I didn't prepare, you know, five sentences that you can say two different ways and one way is nice and one way is the other. Probably should have, but I didn't think of it until just now. <laughs> but they're I mean, there are countless things that can be said two different ways and have two different meanings. And so when you talk about disrespect, this isn't an old-fashioned, I don't think that's an old-fashioned way of looking at it. When you get off the couch and walk into the other room and address the person you're trying to communicate with, your, your gravitas goes up exponentially right there. Maybe gravitas isn't the right word. The amount of respect that they're going to have back for you.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't think
1: as a, I don't think that we notice it as a sign of respect or That's disrespect. Right.
0: That's what I mean. It's, it's just, just this fly under the radar just, stuff it's, it's, until you're not it, doing it. it. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I just totally talked over you. That's okay. Is that what you were going to say? Um,
1: no. Well, say what <laughs> you season. were going to say. I just was. I didn't. I wasn't going to say it flies under the radar. I'm just saying it's. Something that we are not aware of, but it is so ingrained yes. in our bodies yes. that you know we just don't do that anymore. And I think that you have a very good um, worry about millennials who don't know what they're missing, and and this Gen, I guess their Gen Z is we are Gen yeah. X, Gen yeah. Gen Z is our. Older children's generation, our children's generation.
0: After millennials. Yeah. Okay.
1: So I know that I have tried to impress upon our daughter, who has a little social anxiety and does not like to talk on a phone. Her freshman college roommate was a phone speaker, and I remember we were driving to drop her off at college. Everybody's in the car, and the phone rings. Her cell phone rings, and she's, like, baffled. Like, who would be calling me? And then she got off the phone, and her roommate had told her some information about the dorm and the moving in and how they didn't bunk the stack the beds and whatever. And she was like, oh, great. She's a talker. <laughs> like it was a bad thing. And I'm like, that is good. Because then you can hash out all of these little details. Yeah. So when you have a face-to-face or a verbal communication, you can you pick up on so much more.
0: And and I think the reason that it's so important in relationships that are in recovery is we we talk a lot about how especially the loved ones, but the alcoholics to some extent too, you're in this state of hypervigilance. You're always in defense mode, ready to go to handle whatever the situation comes at you. You might be trying to figure out, oh, is my spouse drunk? Is my spouse drinking? You know, what, what's, what's this evening going to look like now that this spouse is home from work? So you're already on edge. Your shoulders are raised. You're tight. You're tense. And then if you take that and you add to it really shitty choices in forms of communication, we're not even talking about the words yet. We're not even talking about what you're actually saying to each other. I don't know that that can be fixed on a podcast episode. I know it can't actually. So we're not talking about the vile sentiment. We're talking about the mode of communication you're choosing when it makes matters worse before you've even gotten the words out. That's a huge problem for people that are constantly on edge, constantly uh, worried about what the situation is going to bring their way.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, there's just I'm no not way say, for that to
0: go well.
1: I'm not going to say this ever made me hold my tongue and and really, you know, give you a beating verbally. Um, but I think that when we use sometimes e- email, yes, or we're commenting on a on a post. Giving a review or texting, it's so much easier to be vile and negative and critical and hurtful when you don't have to look at that person.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. I hadn't even thought of that.
1: Uh, you know, I call them cyber bullies. Like, they have, you know, you'll, I remember, our, again, back to our daughter, like, she had a, there was a children's, like, young teen writers blog posts like where they could all share writings because she was creative writing and and some of the things that the comments from other people and i i had to tell her you know these are cyber bullies these aren't people that are out there trying to be nice and and build you up that that the website's supposed to offer these people don't have to look at you and give you this criticism And they can just be mean and nasty and working out their own bullshit. I didn't say bullshit, but they're working out their own stuff. This is their inner dialogue, perhaps. Or they're being abusive because they don't feel good about something.
0: Because they were abused or something like that. Or, you know, I
1: said, they've got their own bag of stuff that they're dealing with, their own baggage they're dealing with, and they're just taking it out on you because you happen to write a piece that they didn't particularly care for. And that's how I think sometimes when there is that texting. Mm-hmm. But again, like I said, because I think us loved ones in that alcoholic state and that that hyper vigilance, we're always on edge. But I remember there were a few times where it hadn't gotten heated in arguments with us and I was like, okay, I, do I really wanna hurt him more? Because I can say and vile things were coming to my head. Sure. But I was like, do I really wanna hurt him more and what's it gonna serve? Usually my anger took over. And you said it. And I said it.
2: But there were times, there were times. But
0: even that, when when we had verbal battles and I could see, I mean, when we're standing there face to face, I can see when you are completely losing your shit. And then when you say vile things in that state, even in the moment, even when I'm drunk, I can say, okay, there's a part of her that means that. That hurts me and that was vicious. But she has completely gone off the deep end. So some of this I'm taking with a grain of salt, even in the moment.
1: Yeah. And I'm even sure in your drunken state, moment yeah. you could see it, because I'm sure I get like a twitchy eye, and I've got a vein that pops out, I'm, I'm sure I look like insane. And
0: I'm sure vice versa. Even though the things that I said sometimes were just hideous, and, and can't even repeat them, and thinking about them makes me want to throw up. You can tell when I'm, you know, in a state of uh, reasonable consciousness versus, you know, when I'm slurring and stumbling, and then I spit something awful out. I know that, that for a while there was a concern that you had that the true truth came out mm-hmm. when I was drunk, but I think we all would agree now that yes, alcohol's a truth serum to a to a limited point, and then. A, and then it's the opposite of that it just makes garbage fall out of your face.
1: Yeah it like lessens your inhibitions and you might be a little more flirtatious or um, you know uh, vulgar with your words as you're telling a joke and those sort right. of things but I mean I, I will say it took a long time for me to actually kind of believe that and I think up until the point where alcoholism had gripped you to have the depression and anxiety you did and we fought less. Because yeah. there were just, I saw that like there was something different. Yeah. You know, we weren't having these arguments because you just didn't have it in you. You were so depressed. Yeah. That that's what alcohol made you do. So then I started to realize, oh, it's not a true serum. Yeah. But that was again towards the. It took end. some time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so if I read something in text
0: that came from you and it's vile and vicious, I don't know if you're losing your shit or not. So I don't know how to put it in context. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm, if we're in the same room, then I can, you know, one of the, and, and this, this really played out in our relationship. One of the two reasons that I've said that I got sober and made it was one of the reasons was my depression and anxiety got debilitating and, and it just, I couldn't live that way anymore. I was in so much pain. But the other reason was I could see that you stopped giving a shit. You can't see that by text message. I, I, the way you would respond you didn't care if I was alive or dead that's how it felt to me and I could only feel that through verbal face to face communication mm-hmm. and that ended up being very very important because when you were losing your shit I could tell well she still cares about me look how upset she's, <laughs> she is at me yeah. when you stopped getting upset then I, I realized Oof, we've got a problem here I'm mm-hmm. going to lose my family if I don't make a change, because she has lost interest in me.
1: Well, and yeah. that harassment, though, of of one-sided text messages yeah. that we'll hear about. Um, and that's, you know, like, do you go back and you read those? Like, I've always been curious. Like, it's got to be hard to, like, have that in black and white
2: well, on your phone. That, and
1: I'm sure that it's probably good... You know, in some situations, like if you're dealing with court issues and children and divorce and those sort of things, or, you know, if they're suicidal thoughts and you have to, you know, show those to the the therapist, those sort of things. But I think that that would just be really hard to, like, not respond to the messages and then just hear that beeping, that beep, 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 or you've put it on silence, but you know those are still coming in. Yeah you know and knowing it's out there cuz you can't really turn it off and you know that it's in your in your brain
0: the people that i feel sorry for are the the people that they make the really difficult painful life altering decision to get a divorce from their alcoholic spouse for the for their own sanity and for the protection of their children but they're still co-parenting with this person and so they can't block the person right And so they have to still receive those nasty texts, even after they've, they've made what is in their situation. Each situation is individual, individual choices, individual rights and wrongs. But in their situation, what's right for them is to move on from the relationship. And they're still, because of co-parenting, being bombarded by nasty texts. I just think that's terrible. But, you know, to your point about the fact that I think you said it's there in black and white, it's there that's, you know, the last on my many reasons, list of reasons why text arguments are awful and people in relationship recovery shouldn't use text for anything other than, you know, did you remember to fill up the gas tank? Is because it is in writing. it I mean, I can't tell you how many screenshots we've seen of people's text messages because they're like, oh, how how do I handle this? And then they screenshot and send this nasty gram that their partner left them and why would you do why would you put yourself in that position to if if you're if you're losing your stuff and you're going to say nasty things or you're going to get a really deep dig in and hurt the person that you're supposed to be in love with why would you want that in writing i mean maybe this is the 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 evil coming out of me but i can't imagine you know yes you and i had a few Text wars, not many, and all of them are regrettable. But I can't imagine this being just your normal course of business is seven times a week I'm gonna text nasty things to my spouse and then they're gonna save all of those things and screenshot the ones that are really important. Have them to share with a lawyer or a best friend or a support group or my parents. Mm-hmm.
1: Why why would you put that in writing? I think that they're the alcoholic's just so in pain or so unaware or hurting or that would be really hard to fathom. And I guess that's, that's the kind of the question that us loved ones sit with. Like, why are they doing what they're doing when they know it's so wrong and so bad and so hard and hurtful for them and to us? I guess that's the ultimate question that we're still kind of left pondering. Why do they do the things they do? Why if I've asked them to quit drinking and they know how bad it is, why do they continue?
0: Well, all I can say is anyone who text argues and can't see all the downsides, that person should never no matter how perfect it formulates in their head, they should never plan the perfect crime because that person is incapable of not sharing the details of the perfect crime in writing with somebody for it to be screenshot and used against them later. It's just, it's hard to understand so I want to talk about the cycle of for us and I think for many how arguments went when I was actively in alcoholism kind of an argument cycle you know when I was drinking when I was drunk and something would happen in my mind it was your fault I hadn't done anything wrong You had done something wrong. I don't know what that something is. You know, could be many varieties of things. It could be that we were at a neighborhood party and you wanted to leave and I didn't want to leave. So I stayed and then I came home and I got all up in your business about why did you leave me there? You know, don't you love me? What kind of a wife are you? Why on earth would you leave? That would be the kind of thing that we would have argued about, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in the moment, that's all on you in my head. That is all your fault. And then, then there's the limbo day or two. The next day I wake up I'm presumably, usually not intoxicated anymore. Not always, but usually not intoxicated anymore. And I'm spending some time trying to piece it together and figure out what happened. And maybe you have to explain what happens with the argument. And sometimes my coming to factual realization was faster than others, but often there was a day or two of, again, this limbo period, like I'm trying to figure out in my head was this Sherry's fault or was this was this actually could this have been my fault? And maybe I'm still blaming you, maybe I'm nasty, maybe I'm giving you the silent treatment, maybe I'm arguing with you, maybe I'm chasing you room to room and telling you all the things that you've done wrong, it's, it's kind of a gray area period, and then after a few days the shame and the regret really sets in with me and I recognize that I drank too much, I was an idiot, I said things I shouldn't have said, I behaved in ways I shouldn't have behaved, and I'm ready to apologize. But by then, it's too late. Not only should I have not behaved that way to begin with, and was that unfair to you, but I've you know, made you wait a couple of days for the apology and what's even worse is the apology is meaningless because, you know, I'm just going to do it again the next time I get really drunk. What what was that, you know, again, back on this topic of communication, what was that period like for you from being berated in the moment when I'm drunk for something that you've done nothing wrong to the kind of waiting period of Matt's trying to process that he screwed up again to me, finally coming around and admitting it—what was that like for you?
1: Mm.
0: Big, heavy question, well, huh? Yeah,
1: it is. There's a lot of because um, usually what happened was you were relentless with the arguing until I apologized.
0: Oh, good point. I, I kind of left that out.
1: So off. that, and then there would be there would be a whole other argument about my lack of insincerity of apology.
0: Right. Well, because you because weren't Because I
1: wasn't sincere. And I was just trying to say it to get through with it just to get to the next stage. Yes. So then that whole argument would usually happen. And then that would make me even more pissed.
0: We'd argue about the thing. <laughs> and then we'd argue about your insincere apology.
1: And then, I, yeah, and then I pulled out, like, the self-deprecation card, as I call it. Because I felt like throwing myself at your mercy, like, I would... Think that that would maybe help, and I would like name all the things that I've done wrong, like a confession sort of thing, to see if that would.
0: Let me see if can I can come up with the one that's gonna come up with one
1: all. thing that's gonna make him. I'll
0: name twenty apoli- things. Happy about this
1: apology. Yeah. God, I was an ass. Well, you're just a, and you're a very good arguer, Elf. and um, so those just made me feel like resentful. And that's the times when I'm like, why the fuck am I here?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Those are the moments when I'm like, if he just swallowed his own tongue while he was snoring or something, I would. I don't know what
1: I would do. I don't. You know, I don't know if that's possible. But you know, you'd be like, kind of, and you would be dozing in and out, and then like, kind of come to, and be like, well, we're back at it. So it was just a never-ending cycle. Mm-hmm. So, because you know, you would forget where you left, where we left off. You know, you either you would wake up and you would, you know, had a good dream or a bad dream or whatever. I don't know. Like, so it was very, uh, um, it was very. I was on edge because I very didn't unpredictable, know. Unpredictable, right? Yeah, because living in that unpredictability and what you actually would believe or feel like was okay
2: and then just the tension the next day you know knowing that I like threw myself at your mercy or I lost it and I felt bad about myself either way whether I was feeling like I was doing the right thing I caving and giving in to You know stop the argument and someone used a really good word the other day that made me think it was betrayal betraying myself so I was really upset with that or I would be upset that I like that this happened again and I lost my shit and usually all of it usually I lost my shit said nasty things betrayed myself like throw myself at your mercy to try to get this to end. And so then I would just be, you know, mad at you, resentful of you, resentful of being here in this house with you, and then, then waiting, and then when you would apologize, I wasn't even so mad that you were gonna do it again, but I was like, what the hell? Like, why does, why do you do this? Why do you string me along? Why do you jerk me around? That's when I started thinking you're a manipulator, you're playing games, that you, you loved the torment of it all, so I thought you were evil in a lot of ways.
0: And everything you described is pure evil, no, no doubt about it, and I, I regret it immensely all of what you've described, and I validate that all of what you've described is 100% accurate. But here's my question. Does what you've learned now, and what you've seen from so many other people about how common what you've just described is, how this is one of the universalisms, this is the way arguments and <laughs> alcoholic relationships go, does that bring you any consolation to know that you know you weren't married to some evil genius, you were just married to some evil dumbass and and that's how alcoholism converts people into that level of evil.
1: Honestly, no, it doesn't give me consolation. It doesn't. And I know that you don't understand this about me, but no, it doesn't.
2: It just makes me even more pissed off. That that's what we have to go through. That's what it changes our people to. So it doesn't give me consolation. It makes me even more mad. And I feel even more sorry for both sides. And and so sad for both sides. And I just... I mean, I wish that there could be a way that... I mean, I've like considered videotaping some of it. And then I'm like, I can't, I can't do that I can't like record it on the phone cause I couldn't I don't want to watch it again but if you were to show that to a couple who was struggling and you could see it at the beginning of alcoholism and see the arguments you'd want them to stop because you could just... I don't think anybody could watch what we went through and not want it to stop not want to change it not want to fix it but I'm sorry to say it doesn't give me consolation. It doesn't make me feel better that other people are in pain. Well, that's just... I mean, I don't... I wish I was the only one.
0: That's just further proof that you're a better person than I am. You know, I know it's a cliche, but misery loves company, and that's kind of the way I look at this, but I'm super proud that you're my wife in in many ways but certainly in that you can look at the fact that this is a universal characteristic of alcoholism and be sad for all the other people you'd rather have it have just been an isolated case for us that's pretty, that's pretty special and profound that that's how you feel so Let's talk about what has happened for us now in sobriety. It's actually something that we started when I was still drinking, but it's as close to a solution as the, to the communication problems as we've ever come across. That You and I have weekly scheduled meetings with each other, and I know some of our listeners are probably like, oh my God. How many times are these two going to talk about their weekly scheduled meetings? But it's not, it's not a minor thing. Most people in alcoholic relationships, more than anything else, they have a communication problem. Once the alcohol is gone, that is. Once they're in sobriety. They're both hurting. They're hurting in two different ways. And they have a tremendous amount of trouble expressing that to each other. And feeling empathy for one another. And that's not a feeling problem necessarily. That's not an emotion problem. That's a communication problem. And so the importance of these weekly relationship meetings, I mean, it just can't be overstated. And so yes, if you want to tune out the last 10 minutes of the podcast, you're, I guess you're welcome to do that. But, but this stuff's important. So the, the, the weekly meeting, the way this works Sherry and I, we have, we set, we set it on our calendar. We both put it in our calendars and it's it's scheduled. (coughs) The the time might move, but the day rarely does. We used to do them on Thursdays. Right now we do them on Sundays, usually Sunday afternoons. And, you know, it's it's not like 1 p.m. sharp. I'll meet you wherever. I mean, as we get through our Sunday, we say, okay, when are we gonna talk? When are we gonna talk? But it's not something we blow off. It's not something that we let other obligations get in the way of. It's very important.
1: I feel like at the beginning of our um, conversations, we did kind of have it narrowed down to a time. Yeah. Because I think that because we were just getting in the habit. yeah, we needed to schedule it. We needed to kind of make it a specific time. because we needed to make sure we followed through and we didn't let things get in the way
0: and that's the point right you can't just say oh we need to talk about this let's talk about this someday and then let that hang Mm -hmm. because it'll never happen or it'll happen at a time (laughs) when one party is not prepared and the other one is over prepared and it'll be advantageous for the person that's done a lot of thinking so it's definitely got to be a reasonably you know equal like to to put it on equal playing field and make both parties comfortable it's got to be scheduled So you're right. I kind of forgot about that for a long time. It wasn't down to the hour. We're going to talk at one o'clock on Sunday.
1: Yeah.
0: And the purpose, there are two purposes really to the weekly meetings to deal with past resentments and to prevent current resentments. So the dealing with past resentments is let's talk about things from my active alcoholism. And we went through them in detail. You know, If there was one that came, kind of rose to the top for you, Sherry, we would talk about that night before we left for vacation and this thing happened and then this thing happened and then this thing happened and my role in large part was to sit and listen and to hear your side of what happened and the difference between your side and my side was you weren't intoxicated. So your side was probably accurate and my side probably was not. And so just my acknowledging that your truth was the truth did tremendous benefit toward working through resentments. And what's important about this, I had to be at a place where you could talk about the evil, awful behavior of my past without me getting filled with shame and getting my, my defenses up mm-hmm. and, and start rejecting what you were saying because I was hurt and saying things like, oh, do we have to talk about this again? You know, why when when are you ever going to forgive me? Is enough ever gonna be enough? Why do I have to continue to hear you dig up the past? Those are not helpful responses in this weekly meeting scenario that we're describing.
1: Well, and I feel like if it's the same like we've learned that if it's something that still kind of comes up a lot or it's an example, or it is something that's still lingering. And um so you do need to like talk about it as much as you need to talk about it.
0: That's exactly right. I'm so glad you said that. If, if you feel like your spouse keeps bringing something up and they won't let it go, it's because they can't let it go. They haven't worked it out yet. And if they haven't worked it out yet, it's p- possibly, probably, maybe because you're a shitty listener and you're not able to just absorb what's being said to you, acknowledge that it happened. It, it isn't even about the apology. It's about acknowledging the truth. And trying to heal moving forward. But that's an excellent point. If it keeps coming up, it's not because your wife's a nag and she can't let it go. Well, it is because she can't let it go. She physically, mentally, emotionally cannot let it go because it hasn't been processed properly yet. It's not that she's a nag and she's doing it because she's a mean person. Mm -hmm. That thing's hurting her still. Yeah. And so you as the spouse, your job is to try to help her find a way to move past it. Whether that means we agree that she goes to therapy and we fully endorse that as a healthy thing, or we go to marriage counseling together, or we just stop being a shitty listener. One of those things has to happen. The, the other thing that I mentioned, the purpose of our weekly meetings is to prevent new resentments from current events. The guy who taught us this process was just a soccer buddy of mine, a guy, guy I used to play soccer with. And he said, gosh, me and my, it was his girlfriend. He said, me and my girlfriend, we sit down every week and we talk about the things that have happened that week where one of us was short with the other one.
1: And he called them bricks of resentment.
0: Bricks of resentment. One of us hasn't given, shown each other the respect that they deserve. And we talk about it right there within the same week that it happened. And the brick comes down and we move on. Because if you don't take them down, guess what they do? They build up, right? Yeah into walls of resentment. So super important to kind of deal with both the past and the present. You know other just kind of notes I took about the importance of these meetings it it shows respect and what really shows respect is when we do listen in an empathetic and an understanding way. You know the purpose of these meetings the healing is not about the talking, it's about the listening. And so if if you want to do your part to improve the relationship, when your spouse has something to get off their chest, you should feel honored that they trust you enough to talk about that rather than just bury it down deep inside and hate you for it. That's the way I look at it. Sherry, when you bring something to me, I'm like, thank God she has enough faith in me and my maturity to handle this that she's willing to talk to me about it as opposed to um, just make this be a thorn in her side, which in turn becomes a thorn in my side, and we have this mm-hmm. shitty relationship going forward. Mm-hmm. So respect that. Honor that. Be be thankful when your loved one has something to say, um, because that's all about trust, and the thing that's most destroyed by alcoholic relationships is trust. So that's a sign of trust if you're able to successfully have these meetings. Sure, you should have your time to say your part too. You should say the resentments you feel and the things that are stuck in your craw as well. But when your spouse is talking, just listen. Just listen. If, they, if they're if they having that conversation, it isn't because they hate you and they want to beat you down. They're having that conversation because they need to work through something. And you should be honored that they want to work it through with you. God, I'm very preachy today. Yeah. Or always. <laughs> but especially today. Everything starts here. Everything starts with these these meetings, I think, as far as rebuilding and recovering. The trust rebuilding starts here. If you can prove yourself a worthy listener and um, if we can communicate in healthy ways and not be offended and have shame build up as a result of the things we're hearing, that's the start of the rebuilding of trust. And guess what? Intimacy starts here. I know I guess I don't know of an alcoholic relationship that hasn't had just terrible intimacy issues and have intimacy just completely destroyed by alcoholism. If you want that back, if you want that fixed, it starts here. It starts in these weekly meetings. That doesn't mean come to the meeting naked and try to get it on. That's not what I'm suggesting at all.
1: Because that's not what intimacy means. That's
0: right. It means come to the meeting with your listening ears on and prepared to sit calmly and not, be, not take offense at everything that comes out of your... Your spouse's mouth because if that trust rebuilds that's the building block for intimacy and you know one last thing I want to say on these weekly meetings if your marriage isn't worth an hour a week to sit down and schedule and do something like this to rebuild with your spouse then you should probably just give it up if that's too much of a sacrifice to make if there's too much pain involved and you just can't can't go there or aren't willing because there's too much sports to watch on the weekend, or you know you're...
1: or whatever time of the, the week. If, yeah, whatever. If whenever you can't you give a up, little bit to the if to you're the too relationship tired
0: after work, if you I, I can't do it on weeknight because <coughs> I'm too tired, and the weekends are too busy. If you can't find an hour,
1: yeah. If you and I think that the weekly meetings also shows respect to the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like you just were mentioning, so it's a it's a level of respect to the relationship and the relationship recovery,
0: and to your kids because kids can sense when there's a silent shitstorm going on in your marriage. Your kids know that they walk in eggshells. They feel uncomfortable. They feel your tension, and if you're not willing to work on that on a regular basis, then you're disrespecting your kids as well. Mm-hmm. Very preachy. Don't. I mean, I'm I'm almost. Like mean preachy at this point. <laughs> I do feel bad because I know this is hard for people. I know there are people that will say, yeah. I want to have this communication. They, but it's I, partner I, I don't know how it. to go there. I don't trust my partner enough okay. to sit down and talk well, to them. And I
1: them. I would say start with something it doesn't have to be the heavy stuff. Just start getting used to having these scheduled talks whether it's about what you're doing for the week, what you're going to cook for the week, like maybe Who's start going to pick small. up the
0: kids when? Yeah,
1: just kind of like being collaborative yes. in Fair the relationship idea. because sometimes that's what we need is we need to have just the door cracked a little bit to see how much trust and faith and communication or maybe, maybe you do throw in so earlier this week and not bring up maybe a drunken episode, but just say, you know, I was watching that TV show when you came in and wanted to start talking to me, and, and I appreciate that, but I, you know, I didn't DVR it or I don't have streaming because, you know, like for us, we're kind Look of all backward. tech Backward in technology. <laughs> but, you know, like when you and the kids start coming in and I'm like, because I watch TV while I cook dinner, that's about the only time, and I'll go over and I'll pause it you know, about
0: seventy-two times yeah. for a half hour. And then episode. I'm like
1: looking at you guys, like get the hell out of here. <laughs> but no one's listening, so maybe like that's something you say is. So I just need to have like that half an hour time to watch the show. Well, and if you, you know, if you come in and you know I seem a little gruff about it, that's because I'm annoyed, but also respect that I want to watch this. Or and,
0: and the flip side of that is, you know, when your spouse. <sighs> When when you and and I've been bad about this even recently, and I'm trying to get better. If you say, "Hey, Matt, I need to talk to you. I need to put my fucking phone down and look you in the eyes and hear what you have to say," as opposed to trying to multitask and just, you know, reply to a couple of texts real quick while I'm also dealing with whatever you you want to talk about. Well, and Show I, the person the respect to give them your undivided attention. It sounds so simple, it, but it it, is, I think it's pretty rare.
1: <coughs> well, it is because I think this goes to the societal thing that we have now. We're never not reachable. We yeah. always have this mini computer in our pocket that's ready to receive texts, emails, notifications on social media, whatever it is.
0: Even a fancy slide out one with a little mini keyboard. Yeah.
1: I was so upset when that one got destroyed. But it's just a matter of also you have to be have respect for yourself to say I'm turning it off right now. This is the end of my work day. I do not need to reply to this email or right. this text from a coworker. You can read it and if it's not essential, but giving the respect and time to your to your family.
0: Your family however that your looks your yourself. However that looks everybody after the work respect. day.
1: Yeah. And and I know that that's really hard to do and it's easier said than done for sure.
0: Good good stuff here today, Sherry, I think. Important stuff. I wish I wish I had listened to this episode when I was newly sober. I think, I think it really would've, well, obviously it's the roadmap of what we did, so it would've helped us to speed mm-hmm. us along. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go reset the password on your phone so we can let the sexting begin. Uh, gross. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources.
1: If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org.
0: If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org.
1: No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org.
0: For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.